Good morning, church. We are grateful that you're here today. We're continuing a series called Heart and Soul. Uh, this is the fourth week of a five-week series, and I think today and next week are very practical from the stance of what God is uh, beginning to teach me, and uh, pray that it's uh, an encouragement to you as well. Uh, if you're here for the very first time, we are grateful that you've joined us, uh, either on the Wills Point campus or uh, in Edgewood. Uh, we are glad that you're here, and we pray that today is a blessing to you on either campus. And uh, if you are in Edgewood, hope things are going well over there, and uh, we look forward uh, to seeing you soon. Uh, real quickly, let me just remind you of the premise of this series heart and soul. Uh, it is a reminder that God has created us uh, to worship him. And we, he's created us in the image of God, Genesis 2. And when you begin to think about that, uh, we begin to think about how God has created us into being a living creature. Uh, when you think about that, I always thought, well, God created me to have a body. And so he created me to body. And so I must be in the image of God. And so God must have a body. And the challenge is, is that that's not what the scripture means. And so as you begin to look at that in the original language, what it really means is that God created us to have a soul, and then he gave us a body to house that soul. And it's not the opposite. A lot of us think, oh, God gave us a body, and then it happens to house the soul, and which could be redeemed by the spirit. But it's actually this, God created us to have a soul that is pursuing him and pursuing a relationship with the God of the universe. And that's why he created us. And so a, a few weeks back, we, we just said this, that uh, our soul is always seeking, but it's never finding. It's always intrigued by everything, but it's fulfilled by nothing. So the idea is this, is that our soul has a propensity to want to be full. And our, our soul is designed to be full with the purposes of God. The challenge with that, though, is Genesis 3. Uh, sin entered into to, uh, humanity, and ultimately humanity was duped by sin. And because of that, we have been wandering aimlessly after things that we think would ultimately bring fullness into our lives. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon, uh, said it's like chasing after the wind. It's all vanity. It's as if you try to wrap your arms around it and there's nothing there. And so that's the challenge with an empty soul. And, and then here's what happens. An empty soul will ultimately lead us towards idolatry. And so as we're looking to find something to fulfill the wandering soul, we will try to fill it with anything we can. And I realize, uh, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you probably don't have a golden calf set up in your backyard. Probably don't have an Astra or cedar pole uh, that you bow down to. Uh, you probably don't have anything on your nightstand. But what we do have are things that are ultimately drawing our hearts and our lives' affection away from God. And we need to identify those. And the reason why is because if we don't destroy our idols, our idols will destroy us. And here's what you need to know. Cheap substitutes will never ever be worth the cost. They'll always cost you more than you really want to pay. And so as we think about that, we need to know that our wandering soul will find rest in Christ and Christ alone. And so that's the goal, is just to find Christ and Christ alone. And so last week we said, look, once you finally settle that wandering soul, you, you quit uh, looking for cheap substitutes, you rest in Christ and Christ alone, then here's what he does. He makes you alive in Christ, Ephesians 2, and then he makes you the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as he makes you the temple of the Holy Spirit, there's a few things that begin to transpire in your life. One, uh, he forgives you of sin. He creates you in the likeness of God from uh, the inward 
being all the way out, he begins to then make you the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are now the housing place of the Almighty God. And so that means that God is now concerned with everything that happens in our bodies, even outside of our bodies. He'll address that in 1 Corinthians 6, which we'll look at here in a few moments. He gives us good spiritual gifts. He helps us discern uh, rightly his word. And then he helps us to live in him, abiding by the Spirit, making choices that are sensible, uh, and, and ultimately it's satisfying the appetite of our flesh. And so we want to really clearly understand that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the question. As you begin to discover that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, the question you got to ask yourself is, are there any implications for that? And I would say, absolutely. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and this isn't the first time that you see it, but he just says, hey, don't you know that your, temple, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. The idea is that God, he's bought you, he's redeemed Ultimately, your soul filled you with his spirit, made you alive to Christ, filled you with good gifts, sealed you for the day of redemption, all those things. He says, so now, if you're bought with a price, now you should glorify God with your body. And I'll tell you, uh, over the last few weeks, I've just kind of been setting this up um, and, and in some ways, maybe trying to avoid the fourth and fifth week. Uh, and here's why, because now we're getting down to how do we glorify God in our body? And I think uh, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, and I think he makes it pretty clear in some ways that we can, can, can glorify God in our body, but I want to go beyond that and make it extremely practical today as well. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 22, I just want to read through it. I want you to just be able to mark some things up in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it for you on the screen. If you don't have a Bible at all, we'd love to bless you with a Bible on both campuses today. So go to our connection point. There's some other resources there. There's some t-shirts. There's some other stuff. But more than anything, we'd love to bless you with a free Bible. So take advantage of that. But Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. The idea is, is that before God, our souls are wandering aimlessly. They are looking for something to fulfill them, and there's nothing there. It is exactly a chasing after the wind, as Solomon mentioned. This futility of our minds. And so what we need to realize is that when we pursue things in our own vanity, things that are ultimately uh, idols in our life, we need to know that it's, it's futility. It's foolishness. Verse 19 goes on and says, they have become callous, meaning people who are alienated from God. They've become callous and they've given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity, meaning that we'll, we'll do whatever we can to try to fill this longing in our soul. Verse 20, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. And then there becomes a distinction. And so what Paul has done in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, in Ephesians 1, he goes, hey, look, here's what you need to know. God is sealing you in Christ in redemption for his purposes by his salvation. Ephesians 2, I'm making you alive in the spirit. I'm going to show you what it looks like to love the Lord and ultimately serve him. As I've made you alive in Christ, I've created you in Christ to do good works for Christ. In Ephesians 3, he reminds us of that grace that we've received in Christ. In Ephesians 4, he goes, because you've received grace, now you ought to know that we should adjust our living in a way, in a pattern that ultimately glorifies God. Why? Because as we learn more about Christ, it changes the way we respond to God in our soul, in our spirit, and ultimately with our body. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him. And we're taught in him, meaning Christ, the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. Do you see it? Wonder no more. You are, you are sealed. You are redeemed in Christ. 
Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit by your minds, to put on the new self, created of the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, meaning that you have now rested in Christ. You are fulfilled. You, you, you have enough. He has satisfied everything in you. Verse 25, as a result, therefore, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. That's the idea. He goes, as you become conformed to the pattern of Christ, you ought to snuff out anything in your life that gives an opportunity of the devil as a foothold. Peter says this way, be sober-minded, be alert. Why? The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, look for someone to devour. The idea is quit giving him a foothold. The idea is mature. That's the idea here. And he goes on and he says, um, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Do an honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And you may go, I'm not a thief. That was never my problem. Okay, great. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Now that's a struggle for all of us but only such that is good for what? Building up as it fits the occasion. That it may be grace to those who hear. So God, can, he's concerned about what we do with our hands, how we labor among people. He's concerned about what we do with our mouths and how we speak. Verse 30, and this is where I began to resonate and why I'm reading to you. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you seal for the day of redemption. So what does that even mean? How do I quench the Spirit of God? Verse 31 says, hey, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God Christ forgave you. The idea of this is because Jesus made you alive in him, now the, the spirit lives in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The implication is Paul says, glorify God with your body. And in this case, he's also saying, and don't quench the spirit. And so as I started wrestling with that and have been really for the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking, okay, how do I begin to set up a theological framework for us understanding our bodies? And here's the bottom line is, is God is concerned with our bodies because ultimately he wants to redeem everything about us. He, he wanted to start with the soul that is prone to wonder. He wants us to find Christ and Christ alone and begin to rest in that. And as he rests in that by filling us with his spirit, renewing our hearts and our minds, he goes, I also want to take away this body that's ultimately corruptible. And I want you to begin to live in him because one day I'm gonna sanctify you completely. And I wanna do so with heart, mind, soul, strength, body, everything. And so as I've been thinking about that, I've been thinking, okay, what does that mean for me? And one of the things that I think first for me is this, is that if the temple has always been a recognition of God's place of worship, and I'm now the temple, it means the temple is always filled with worship, meaning if I'm the temple, I should always worship. And you go, okay, I get that. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that as I'm driving to work, I should be singing or I should always be in prayer? And I think the implication of that is that we really understand what that means is that we should worship at all things. And here's what I mean by that is this. If you and I are limiting the Spirit's work in our life, or we're quenching the Spirit, so to say, that means that we're, we're limiting His expression throughout the entire world. So you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus. We're the expression. He is the he, Christ is the head, is what, and we are the body. And so if we are the body, the implication of God's work all, all across the planet, the question is, is, are you limiting God's work by the way you handle things in your life? So that means every choice, every word, every thought, even everything that we put in our body ultimately has an implication about how well we do or do not limit God in planet Earth. 
For instance, this, let's just say that you're like, you know what? I don't care about what I put in my body. You put whatever you want and you die young. The question is, is did you limit the work of God and his spirit and the fullness thereof across planet earth because you chose to limit how long he could live in your body because you were unhealthy? I mean, think about that. What we're talking about is not just, hey, flesh and bone and I'll die and I'll eat and I'll enjoy everything I can. No, the question is, is are you limiting God's work across planet earth in your body? Do you see the implication of this? The implication is not just, hey, I'll do whatever I want. No, what Paul says is, no, you don't do whatever you want. Why? Because you were bought with a price. You are not your own, so glorify God in your body. In Ephesians 4, and he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit who is at work within you. And so as I started thinking about that, I couldn't help but think about Jesus uh, and how he dealt with the temple uh, in his ministry. And if you remember, they were taking the temple and making a mockery. They were exchanging and buying and selling. And they were doing things. And you remember the outrage of Jesus, okay? Uh, he goes in this place and he flips over the, the tables and, and he, it's in a righteous anger. He's like, no, you're not going to make a mockery of my temple. Matter of fact, you can see it in Matthew chapter 21, really verses 12 and 13. It just says that Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the, uh, overturned the tables, the money changers, and the benches of those selling doves. And it's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making a den of robbers. The idea and the implication was they were taking advantage of people and they had taken the temple of God and they'd made it a mockery. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to do that with my house. Now, what I want you to realize is that in that context, that was a temple built by human hands. It was a temple in which people would go uh, to worship God. And, and now we know from the implication of last week that we no longer go to a place with buildings and steeples, but that we are the people of God and that now God lives in us. But I just couldn't help wrestle with this thought that if Jesus would go in and flip tables over them buying and selling and doing things, what in the world is in my life right now that maybe is worthy of him having a righteous indignation and anger over? Like, is there something that maybe he needs to flip over in my life and make me think about? And I'll just tell you, that's what I want to share with you the rest of the day. Um, the rest of the day is not um, out of victory. I'm not going to share anything out of victory, actually, today. I'm going to share everything out of my own weakness. I'm, I'm going I'm to kind of give you a framework of how I've been raised and everything about my whole life. And I'm going to kind of tell you just some personal convictions. I think there's four things that the, the Lord's really stirring in me, wrestling with me on. I can tell you I have read every blog there is to read. I've read every scripture there is to read. I have, over the last several weeks, I've read books on this issue. I've, I've, I've just eaten up everything I can eat up on it. And the reason why is because I know it's a real struggle for me. And so let me kind of help set a frame of mind and reference. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was after week two, which we addressed idolatry. And uh, this person says, hey man, uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to start something tomorrow. And I go, okay, what, what are you starting tomorrow? And he, he said, tomorrow, I'm going to get rid of sugar. And I said, okay, so I, what I'm hearing you is a result of today's message. You're saying that sugar is an idol in your life. And he goes, yeah, ex exactly. I'm going to get rid of sugar. And I said, awesome. That's great. Uh, I think that's, that's an incredible thing. So what are you going to do? Well, I guess I'm going to maybe do something low carb. I don't know. I'm going to just cut out all sugars. And I go, okay, that's cool. And then he said, and he looked me in the eye, but today I'm going to have me a big bowl of, help me, friends, ice cream. I'm going to have me a big bowl of bluebell. And in that moment, you, you might chuckle and you might laugh. You're like, oh, that's me. That's me, okay? And that the Lord just did something in that moment in my life in which as I chuckled, he goes, it's not funny. 
It's not funny. And here's why. Because in that moment, he's like, Brandon, not every spiritual discipline issue in your life can start over on Monday. And that's how I've always been wired. I've always been wired to make a commitment and ultimately say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start eating well. And then by Thursday, it's not doing so well. And so I go, you know what, I, I, guess, everything's, I guess everything's off and I'll start the deal over next. Say it with me, Monday. And it's not just as it relates to food, it's as it relates to my spiritual disciplines, to my Bible study, to prayer. You know, I didn't do so good this week reading my Bible, so I'll start over next Monday. Or man, I really need to ramp up my prayer life. And instead of me going, you know what, I really need to start with winning today, I always think I'll start winning next week. And that's the way that I've always lived. I've lived in a place where the pantry was always full and you ate whether you were hungry or not. Matter of fact, as I watch even my little ones come around, they're like, Dad, I'm starving. I'm like, you don't even know what starving is. You just ate a snack 30 minutes ago. You're not hungry, not let alone starving. And it's just this, this framework where that, that's me. Now, you may look at me and you go, you know, Brandon, I don't understand what you're talking about. I mean, you're not super overweight. I mean, yeah, maybe you could stand to lose a few pounds. But let me, let me explain something to you real quickly. Weight has always been an issue for me, always. Um, when I was young, I was, I was overweight. I can remember being 8, 9, 10 years old and going to my mom crying because people made fun of my weight. When I graduated high school, I was almost 270 pounds. I thought, you know what, being a great big offensive lineman was a, it was a, a blessing, right? I mean, I thought I glorified God when I could go to a buffet and wipe it out. It's like, look at that. Isn't that awesome? And I did all that for $7.99. I bet I cost them a fortune. When I got married, I was almost 290 pounds. I don't even look at my wedding pictures. I do not have one out because I'm embarrassed at how big I was. My wife has not seen her wedding pictures in years because I do not want them out. It, the reason why is a reminder of what I wrestled with. And the thing is, is this, is that the wrestling has never gone away. I've only figured out ways to manage it. And so what I do is, is I, in a sense, can... Uh, you can challenge me with something and I can get rid of it. The question is not the, the challenge. The question is the motivation behind the challenge. And so you might ask me to, to stop. You go, hey, you know what? Caffeine's a problem. I go, caffeine's not a problem. I can get rid of caffeine. And in an instant, I can get rid of caffeine. You might even say, well, what about sodas? I remember about a few years ago, I said, you know what? I think sodas are a problem in my life. This is about 2014. And I said, I'm going to go an entire year without sodas. And church, I made the challenge to the church. And for one year, I didn't have a single soda. Why? Because I know that if you challenge me, I can get rid of it. But the problem is, is this, is in all of my habits, starting over, starting this, not doing that, you saying, hey, soda's a problem. Okay, I'll get rid of sodas. I'll get rid of caffeine. I'll get rid of whatever. I have done everything there is to do, but I've never addressed the issue behind it, and that is my motivation. I've never really gotten down to that central issue of why do I do what I do? And I get it. Maybe you're like me because there's some of you that you're planning to start something tomorrow. And you're like, I'm going to do low carb. And listen, I've done everything that there is to do. I've cut out carbs. I've cut out vegetables. I've eaten more vegetables and cut out breads. I have cut out sugars. The only thing I'm not foolish enough to do that some of you in this room have was that cabbage thing. You know, let's cook a bunch of cabbage soup and let's eat on that for a while. What were you thinking? I've never done that. But outside of that, maybe you're like me, and you go, you know what? I've been there. I've done that. 
And as you start thinking about that, the question is, is why am I doing that? And, and the reason why I'm struggling with this now is because I know that God ultimately wants me to glorify him in all that I do. It reminds me of Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything that I do. Colossians 3, later on, verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And here's the deal. I know that in my life, I go, you know what? I'm serving the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. I, everything I do is serving the Lord. But I, as I start thinking about that, I think what I've done is, in a sense, in some ways, I have thought very little about what it is I'm doing and even putting into this body. I thought very little about what it would look like to serve the Lord in whatever I do. And here's why, because I've always done well in word or deed. But it says in whatever you do, whether in word or deed. And I thought, you know what? I treat people well. I try not to be malicious with my tongue. I try to, I try to be a good steward of all the things that I have. But there is this one thing called the body, Right? And I think many of us in here, we've never heard it taught. We've never, I've never been to a church one that's ever spent any time at all talking about what we put in our body outside of some of the legalistic nature of things. But for the most part, I've never seen a pastor get up in their weakness and say, hey, here's a real struggle for me. And maybe it's because I didn't go to all that healthy of churches. I'm not really sure. But here's something that I read this week that really convicted me. And, and this is this, that our physical appetites are merely an analogy of the spiritual things that are going on in our life. And so uh, S. Michael Houdman, he wrote this, physical appetites are an analogy of our ability to control ourselves. If we are unable to control our eating habits, we are probably also unable to control other habits, such as those of the mind, like lust or covetousness, anger. And we're unable to keep our mouths from gossip or strife. We're, we're not let our appetites control us, but we are to have control over our appetites. And I want you to realize that what I'm talking about is appetites. And your appetite may be different than my appetite, but the bottom line, I think there's four principles we could all learn from. And the very first one is this, that we should not be dominated by anything that's having a harmful effect on our body. Anything that's having a harmful effect on our body, which is ultimately the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God is living and breathing in you if you have been made alive in Christ. And it's because he's living in you, you and I should not be dominated by anything. That's what Paul is trying to address when he says the words that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Earlier in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 6, he's giving us a couple of things to think about. One of the things he's going to deal with explicitly is this idea of sexual immorality, this thing that's done outside of the body that ultimately prohibits the union of man and woman in, in marriage. That Anything that we do sexual immorality-wise is, is, in a sense, uh, is outside of our body and is damaging to the temple of the Holy Spirit. And for that, we can wrap our head around. We know that God has created the union of marriage between one man and one woman and anything outside of that. The church is easily and widely accepted for the most part until recent days in America as sin. And we go, well, I don't have a problem calling that sin. But what we do have a problem calling a sin is some of the other things that he's addressing. In verse 12, 1 Corinthians 6, he goes, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Meaning all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And that's an area that you should highlight, underline, because that's what stuck out, just stood out to me. And then he says in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. 
And then he goes on, he says, the body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and who also raised up by his power. The idea here, though, is that we shouldn't be dominated by anything. And then you begin to go, well, what does that mean, dominated by anything? And then you think, okay, well, maybe what I'm talking about is what you're talking about. And here's what I need you to know today. If I say something from this point forward that's offensive to you, or ultimately that challenges you in some way, what I want you to know is that God is dealing with me on this, and if anything else you sense, it's not a direct at you unless the Spirit uses it in your life. But when I'm talking about dominated for me, I, I think it can be things like the amounts of food that I eat, the thoughts of food that I have. Oftentimes, I can be eating one meal and thinking about what I'm going to have for the next. Planning that out, even calling my wife, right after lunch and going, hey, I think this would be really great for dinner. That's probably a problem. It's types of food, things that maybe that I, I like more that satisfy some sort of craving in my flesh. It, at the end of the day, is about cravings. And we have all types of cravings, some that are ultimately good gifts and expressions of God that we could use in an exorbitant way. But the bottom line is a craving is something other than the Lord. For you, it could be something different. It could be sugar, which is all also for me. It could be a Coke. It could be snuff. I mean, we live in East Texas. I mean, surely somebody's dealing with that. Like, man, I can't kick that addiction. Well, it's domination. It could be alcohol. It could be caffeine. It could be meds in some cases. At the end of the day, I don't know that I can determine for you what is right and what's not right. What I can tell you this is that if you were to say, hey, this is the problem in your life, I would say, no, it's not. Watch tomorrow, I can get rid of it. And what I'll do is, is temporarily, I'll get rid of it for a season because I know I can and I'll prove to you otherwise, which I never actually deal with the craving in the heart and the soul. I never think of it from the lens of how am I honoring God with my body? And so what I do is I constantly are on the scale, constantly going back and forth, constantly thinking of ways that ultimately I can keep things under control. But here's what you need to know. Whatever controls us is ultimately going to be our Lord. And I don't know what's controlling you, but I can tell you this. If somebody were to point it out in your life and you were to say, uh-uh, it's not a problem, it's probably a problem. If you have to convince somebody that you can do without it for a few days, then it's probably something you need to lean into. And so there are several things that I need to lean into, among which I'm not probably going to list. Here's what I know the answer is not. It's me determining your list. I had a staff guy uh, when we started the series, uh, Heart and Soul. He was like, hey, man, I know we're going to do this. He goes, I got a thought after the first of the year. He goes, we'll empty all of our, our drink thing. And instead of putting sodas and donuts and all that stuff, all we're going to do is stick water and we'll put fruits and veggies out. And then I, in my, my, my gut is I'm like, hey, dude, when did you become the Holy Spirit? Like when, and I think it's important for you to note that the goal here is not legalism. What I'm not trying to say is what's wrong for me is wrong for you or what's right for you is right for me. At the end of the day, if you can have a soda and under your conviction, you know it's not obsessive, it doesn't dominate you in any way, then have a soda. At the end of the day, what we've got to prevent is me looking at you and thinking because I'm not having a soda, somehow I'm more spiritual than you. Or some way I cut this out of my life for a season, I'm better than you. At the end of the day, my deal may be Snickers and your deal may be alcohol. I don't know what's dominating you, but I can tell you this. There are lots of things that if I lean into them can dominate me and I have to begin paying attention to them. 
And just because they are more widely accepted within the church than maybe the thing you're dealing with doesn't mean that what I'm dealing with is actually okay. At the same time, don't be giving me that one-liner. Well, hey, man, because you eat Snickers and Reese's Buttercups and Dr. Pepper all day, I can drink whatever I want to drink. Hey, let's get past that. I think that's what I'm trying to say is can we get to a place where we're really honest within the body to say this is what's dominating me? And I'll tell you, I'm going to go ahead and make just a real quick commercial. Listen, the reason we need community is so we can just honestly confess a few things that are dominating to a handful of people in community and say, hey, listen, lean into that with me. That's why we need it. And so we just need to lean into it. The second thing, though, is this, is that we should begin leaning into this idea that when our appetites are as a replacement for aiding in discomfort or sorrow. I don't know what that means for you. Here's what I know is the reason that I oftentimes eat is because it's a stress reliever. Sometimes I eat just because I eat, right? I mean, that's just what I've always done. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I just eat. And, and, and I think, well, hey, man, I'm like, that looks good. And hey, that looks good. And the reason that I oftentimes eat, though, is that after a long, hard day, after a stressful conversation, or even sometimes without just actually little or no thought, all of those things, though, ultimately have a part of, of aiding and in, in ultimately some sort of problem, whether it be discomfort or sorrow or lack of trust. Second Corinthians 7.1 says, since we have these problems, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion, the fear of God. And when you think about defilement of the body and the spirit, uh, we naturally go to things that are oftentimes listed, uh, slander, lust, fornication, debauchery, drinking, all these different things. But when's the last time that you listed something like a caffeine? When's the last time that you you listed something else like chocolate. I mean, it's just there's certain things that we are, we're just kind of taking off the table. And, and again, I can't determine what's on the table for you, but I can tell you what's on the table for me. But I can tell you this, there's a lot of us in this room that oft, oftentimes are using our appetites as replacement of the mean of aiding in our sorrow. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What does that look like? And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I mean, think about that for just a, thing, for just a second. The implication of that is simply this. He's going, hey, I'm going to sanctify you completely. And, and I get it, okay? If God were to call me home right now, and let's hypothetically, even though in the end times eschatological uh, worldview, we're not going to have the wedding feast right away. But the wedding feast at the end of time is going to be a celebration. But listen, if God was to call me to the wedding feast right now, I'm afraid I'd eat everything on the table. I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to do a huge work in me because I'm going to show up and embarrass myself. But that's the implication. Why? Because I have not thought through a theological framework of food or whatever it is that you're putting in your body. I can tell you at the end of the day, if we're putting anything into our body as an aid to comfort the one who really is the comforter, as Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians, then we have a problem. Why? Because God is the comforter of all things. He comforts us in our sorrow. And so there's a lot of us that we're running to other coping mechanisms that are replacing God as a means of our worship and comfort. And that's a sin problem. And you can justify it all day long. You say, well, no, at the long end day, I just like to have a bath and a glass of wine. Listen, if your bath and a glass of wine is in some ways suppressing you in a way that God ultimately should take and you could cast all your cares upon him when you're weak and heavy laden, he'll give you rest, then that's a sin problem. 
And I know you're like, no, I've never thought about that. There's nothing wrong. I've got a household full of people. And, and I'm like, it's okay for me just to suppress a little. And I would say it is if you're doing it with the Lord. But apart from him, it's a problem. And so just be thinking about that. And I, I get it. Like going to the deer lease and just having something where you just go, man, I, I just, it's just nice to be a disconnect from the world and not have to answer my phone and not have to call people back and not even have to worry about that. Listen, if the deer lease is aiding and comfort and sorrow, guess what? The deer lease is a problem. Do, do you understand? That's what the Lord's bringing me through is that any of that can be a problem. Why? Because we could be dominated by it. Thirdly, is when we eat without enjoying the goodness of God. And if you want to say when we eat or drink or whatever without enjoying the goodness of God, what does that mean? I think it means several different things, but for me, it's, it's really when you eat just to eat. And I don't know about you, but I'll find myself, particularly on, on weekends when I'm at home, it's easy for me to eat just to eat. Now in the work week, what's crazy about me is that I oftentimes don't eat at all. And so it's, it's not uncommon for me to come to work, have a couple of cups of coffee, and I'll work all the way up to dinner, and I'll never eat. Again, that's a problem too. But what I'll do is I'll find myself just teeter-tottering. I don't ever have a solid plan when it comes to caring for the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've never really given a whole lot of thought about it until here recently. And as I've kind of begin to dive in, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to confess to our, my entire church out of the weakness that I have that ultimately isn't honoring the Lord with my body. And I get it. We could point fingers at each other and say, hey, some of us are worse than others. At the end of the day, it's not for me to determine who's worse than me. Is I know that what I've been doing doesn't honor the Lord. Listen, if you eat meals hastily, that means that you gorge them down and almost choke on them. You're probably sinning against the Lord. You're not enjoying the goodness of God. If you are the one who goes to lunch with somebody and you finish your lunch way before them and you didn't have great conversation, I'm thinking that you might have sinned in that area that you forgot the communal aspect of what food is. Food is to bring us together over a broken body in the blood of Jesus. How is it that we gorge ourselves on food without reminding ourselves of the goodness of God? That's the indication of this. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Bless the man who takes refuge in him. And Psalm 34, verse 8, you look at that, and you're like, Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Listen, I have said that jokingly after I've eaten into a Snickers bar. Like, oh, taste and see the Lord is good. That's not what the text means, okay? Uh, that's out of context. But what it really means is you see in Psalm 34, it's talking about the faithfulness of God, that you can call upon him and he's faithful, that he is, a, he is a refuge to those who call on him. That's what Psalm 34 is all about. And when you come to God with all that you have and you see his faithfulness, it's as if it is sweet honey to your lips, as if it's an aroma to your nose. The idea of it is that you taste and you see the enjoyment of God. And one of the great ways that God expresses us and himself to us is in providing for us good things. But oftentimes what God will give us is a provision, and we'll take that provision and we'll make it into a delicacy. And oftentimes we'll take advantage of that. One of the reasons that God had such a great problem with Israel is that Israel was being provided for with something like manna. And instead of tasting and enjoying the manna, they wanted what? Quail. Give me more meat. Give me more of that good stuff. And that's one of the reasons that God had a problem. We always want the good stuff, right? Now listen, uh, that's three areas of great conviction for me. Let me give you this fourth one because it's probably going to be the dagger to your heart. It was mine. When we spend frivolously on our appetites. 
Now, listen, it's one thing for us to continue to take advantage of things that are going on in our, in our bodies, right? And like put things in them. And you're like, oh, at the end of the day, I'm not honoring God well, what I put in my body. But when you start thinking, not only is God concerned about what I do physically, but he's also concerned about my physical choices and how they result in financial choices, that's a big deal. And so it's one thing for you to say, well, you know what, this isn't a real problem. And then you look up your finances and you're like, dude, I could have fed a third world country if I would have taken my addiction or my problem and I would have used it for God's purposes. That's when it can get a little convicting, right? I mean, if you were really to start tabulating all the charges that you had for Reese's and Dr. Pepper that are laying in the front seat of your car, right? Those wrappers, you're like, man, let me put that to a pin. You're like, man, I could have pumped a fresh water into a country, The idea, though, is this, is what things are we frivolously spending? When you think about that, it's Romans 12.1, a verse that you've heard many times, but it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. There it says, present your bodies. And when you think about presenting your bodies, I think of stewardship there. I think about that word, like, How am I a steward with all that I've been given? And oftentimes we equate that with financial things, but it's not just financial. God has given you a time on earth, which is, by the way, Psalm 39 is very limited. It comes and it goes. But while we're here and he's filling us with his spirit because we're believers in Christ, man, how do we maximize that? And not just maximize it by by going to to church or being a part of a journey, but how are we maximizing it on mission in the world? And then what are we doing in the world that is contrary to the mission of God through us on earth? Where are we spending frivolously on things that we think are, are helpful or not helpful for that matter? Proverbs 21, 17, I didn't provide it for you on the screen, but it just says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. The idea is those who pursue pleasure for the sake of pleasure, things that oftentimes we are extravagant in our thoughts and our lifestyle, at the end of the day, they don't honor the Lord. And so as we present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice, what does that mean? And I can't help get away, I can't get away from that word living sacrifice. It doesn't say as a dead sacrifice. Hey, honor the Lord is a dead sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it was a dead sacrifice that ultimately honored the Lord. But for us, because God lives in us, it's a living sacrifice. And what are we doing to our bodies that are ultimately going to extinguish God's work on planet Earth as a result of how we handle our bodies that make us a living sacrifice? I can tell you this, if I continue the same cycle that I have right now, you may think that I'm normal, that I'm average, that I've got it going on. But I'll tell you, I bet... I'm not alive for another 25 plus years because my body can't handle the way I've treated it. And what I'm trying to help you understand today, my goal is not to go out and have a fad diet and and try to lose some only so I can gain it back by December. The other goal is not for you to start speaking into areas of my life that I don't need you speaking into yet. Same. So what I mean by that is this, is like if I grab a donut out there, I don't need you slapping it out of my hand yet, Okay. I'm, I want to lead out a place of vulnerability. I've got some community that I, I, I pray that we have some conversation. We lean in and we begin to have conversation over that. I pray that you'll do the same, that you'll have some introspective, honest time with the Lord and say, God, what is it that may be dominating me? God, what areas could, could I not spend as frivolously on? God, show me how I'm not caring for my body. I'm pretty convinced that all of us in this room may have one area 
if not a couple of more, that we could lean into. Maybe you're here and you're like, no, dude, I got it all. I'm like, I'm a rock star. I, like, I, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm like, I'm the pillar. I should be on the magazine for, for God's work with the body, you know. Then praise God for you. I would love to have a conversation with you. But I don't need you to sell me something. I don't need you to tell. I truly believe that I need to honor the Lord with all that I do. And what I'm saying is, is this, is that I believe that I haven't done a good job of that. And I'm just kind of leave, leave you with this because I read it and I thought it was really good that Jesus is the Lord of the table. And so the table shouldn't be my Lord. The, the, Jesus is the Lord of the table and the table shouldn't be my Lord. And at the end of the day, it's only when, when our heart is satisfied in God that we'll have power to say no to, that would otherwise tempt us. And so I don't know what that is for you. I can tell you what it is for me. It's an area that I got to lean into a little bit more. And I, I pray that God will use that to do the same for you. Next week's going to be even more practical, I think, and some things that we could use as some, some rules as we kind of begin to dive into this issue. Uh, but I pray that you'll come back. Pastor Promise, I really believe it'll be worth it next week as we wrap up this series. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you would help us to honor you in everything that we do, whether in word or deed. And I pray, Father, that we wouldn't limit that to certain areas of our life that seem more easy than others. And Lord, I don't know what everyone else is wrestling with or dealing with as it relates to being the temple of the Holy Spirit, but I do pray that whatever it is that controls us, that we would identify that as a Lord in our life and ultimately an idol in our heart if it's not you. And I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom and guidance to help us to begin to, to know what it looks like to trust you, to love you, and to taste and see that you're good. I pray that you would help us to uh, honor you with all that we do and that we'd be dominated or controlled by nothing, that our appetites wouldn't be a replacement to find hope and comfort in our sorrow, but rather we would trust you, that we would cast our cares upon you, that we would worship you in all things. I pray that your spirit would do a work in our lives that only you can do. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to love one another well, encourage one another, admonish one another when necessary, so that we're ultimately all a living sacrifice of the one who gave up his life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.